right, welcome to our journey through Scripture, day 82. Today we're going to be talking about Numbers, chapter 15, verse 1, through chapter 16, verse 35, and then Psalm 37, and Luke, chapter 4, verse 38, through chapter 5, verse 16. Okay, so um, Numbers 15, uh, the beginning of today's reading, um, is a recapping of a bunch of things having to do with certain sacrifices, uh, particularly on the uh, grain offerings and the offerings of wine and oil that are to be that are to accompany them. Uh, basically, depending on what type of animal is offered, these are the uh, appropriate grain offerings. Uh, for a lamb, a tenth of an ephah of flour, a quarter of a hint of wine, and a quarter of a hint of oil. And then it goes up. Uh, ram, uh, if it's a ram, then two-tenths an ephah of fine flour, a third a hint of oil, and a third a hint of wine. And if it's a bull um, being used for a, a vow or peace offering or something like that, um, then it's three-tenths an ephah of fine flour and a half a hint of wine or of oil. Uh Noteworthy here, too, is the emphasis on the stranger who is welcome to offer sacrifices to the Lord, um, the, the sojourner, the, the non-native Israelite, that the law is the same for them. And so it's interesting that somebody who's, you know, sorry, uh, my um, my plumbing is making some weird noise here down in my basement where I record these things, so just bear with that. If you will, I hope it's not too distracting. But at any rate, the um, the uh, what am I saying here? The the stranger and the sojourner is welcome to make the same uh, sacrifices that the Israelites are welcome to make, at least in in these respects. And and um, yeah, uh, then we see a little bit about how um, uh, how really everything in everything that they do, the Lord needs to be acknowledged, and the, one of the ways they do this is by offering the first loaf of every year as another one of the kind of first fruits of first fruit offerings to the Lord. Um, and that this is to be a statute throughout their generations. It is to be uh, set apart for the Lord in acknowledgement of his bounty that he has blessed them in the land. Um, you get a bunch of things, too, here about um, sinning un- unintentionally, first of all, what is to be done. And as we know, with those kinds of sins, we've seen um, the sin offering is appropriate, and here it is to be um, accompanied by a-, a burnt offering as well, and a grain offering with its drink offering. Um, this is very similar to what we saw in Leviticus, but here um, the combination with the burnt offering is noted. Um, and that is for unintentional sin, um, and uh, for for the and and for a corporate sin, right? The you here in this passage uh, is going to be uh, is going to be plural, and you see this also as it's capped off in verse twenty six. And all the congregation of the people of Israel shall be forgiven, and the stranger who sojourns among them, because the whole population was involved in the mistake. So this is a sin, an unintentional sin of the entire congregation. And, um, and then uh, if one person sins unintentionally, it is the, it is the sin offering. So the, the distinction is uh, if it's the whole congregation sinning unintentionally, a burnt offering is also to be made with its grain offering. Um, but um, with a bull, or I'm sorry, a goat being used for the sin offering, the bull is the burnt offering. Uh, whereas if one person sins unintentionally, a single person, 
than the um, than a female goat one year old is required. But you contrast these unintentional sins uh, in verse 30 with the person who does anything with a high hand, whether a native or a sojourner. So um, also as you know what's uh, what applies to the um, to the worshiping, believing, um, faithful, uh, native applies to the worshiping, obedient, faithful sojourner, but the same thing goes for the one who reviles Yahweh, as it says here, and um, and for the one who does who sins with a, a high hand. This is this is open, purposeful rebellion against the Lord. Um, that person is to be is to be cut off, um, and. Um, this is the kind of sin where there's there's no there's no repentance there's no feeling of guilt or anything like that. Um, keep in mind how in in Leviticus chapter six uh, verses one through seven in particular um, you have the picture of like somebody who sins and then they realize their guilt and they're like oh okay and then it's like what sacrifices do you all do you offer the concept of of um, sinning with a high hand is different than that. There is no repentance. There is no acknowledgement of guilt. There is only high-handed rebellion against the Lord, which is why this um, this law is then followed by the um, incident of a Sabbath breaker, uh, a man who was found gathering sticks, gathering pieces of wood um, on the Sabbath, and which has expressly been forbidden by the Lord. It is, it, 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 this man, the person who did this, would have been aware, back in Exodus 35, verse 2, that a violation of the Sabbath is, uh, is a capital punishment in Israel. And back then, what I mentioned was that this is the sign of the covenant. This is, this is akin to saying um, to an Israelite, like, not being circumcised, right? That's the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. If you d- just openly, wantonly, and unrepentantly disregard the Sabbath, you're disregarding the Lord's entire covenant. And that's why the, his, this man's punishment is so severe. He is stoned by the entire congregation um, as at the command of the Lord here. Um, and I think it's just, you know, it's important to realize that this this entire section of numbers here what happens to people who rebel against the Lord is, is can often is is severe. It, it's severe, right? But here the emphasis in the in the story right here is is how um, how prevalent these attitudes of just wanton rejection of the Lord after all He had done for them after Himself sh- after after Him He shows himself to be real after he shows himself to be powerful after he shows himself to be good um they they there there are nevertheless people who still stubbornly want their own ways um as we can all attest to you know sometimes you do look back and you're like man would i have made it if i was in israel at the time now that's a little bit of an apples and oranges comparison uh, because of course uh, there is the indwelling Holy Spirit in the heart of the believer that makes us delight in keeping the law of the Lord and enables us to keep the law of the Lord. And uh, there are other differences as well, but um, it's important to, 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 to realize the, the amount of grace, not to say that there's no grace in the law of Moses, but the amount of grace that we are given 
under Christ. We, we truly are blessed to partake, not in the old covenant, but in the new covenant. Um, but again, this is the other thing too, not, not just is there like all this rebellion against the Lord going on at this time, and, and that's a reason for the severity of some of God's judgments, uh, at least it seems to be the case, but also what seems to be the case is that this is a very important um, time for God's people, right? This is the Lord showing the world who he is and showing the world what he is about, what he's promised to do through Abraham. And so far, you know, the 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 people have have rejected God's promise for the for the land, right? Wanting to go back to Egypt, even uh, trying to institute somewhat of a coup to uh, to 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 organize a movement to go back to Egypt. Um, there is the 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 complaining, the constant grumbling, the um, not being satisfied by what the Lord has given them. Uh, Moses's authority has been challenged on on. Um, uh, by by his brother and his sister, and uh, as we will now see in chapter 16, uh, by others as well. Uh, the scouts that were sent into the land incited the people to rebel against, against the Lord, and they died by plague, and the rest will die by wandering in the wilderness. So, this is, um, this is, a serious, a very serious time <clears throat> for God's people to understand. Like this is the Lord, and He is in the business of. I mean, you go all the way back to Genesis of, of crushing the head of the of the serpent, and you. And this is a pivotal point in in redemptive history, and you guys are going to disregard His word and walk contrary to Him. Uh, the the I think it's important to see the the judgment of God that occurs in this area of the Bible, in the book of Numbers, in light of such considerations. Um, and so, it also kind of makes sense then why chapter 15 would end the way that it does with the, um, with the command to make tassels on garments and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. Um, you could still see today Jewish people uh, wearing, uh, especially Orthodox Jewish people, uh, wearing tassels um, around their waist. And um, the idea here is that uh, this is something that you look at to remember not to follow after your own heart with and your own eyes, which, as verse 39 says, you are inclined to whore after, but rather to remember the Lord and all his commandments, to remember you are holy. And I, I think that's that's helpful, right? Like how easy and automatically our minds kind of just stray away from the Lord. This is just a very practical piece of advice. Like you should have stuff around you that reminds you of who you are and who you serve. Um, this visible reminder, because you know you you get carried away in your own direction, right? Inclined after your own heart and your own eyes. Um, and the, the, so the command for tassels is, is very fitting in this place. And then we get the story of another rebellion, and technically we'll be finishing it tomorrow, but we get a good idea of what's going on here. So um, recall the setup in Israel, okay? So the, the priests are those sons of Aaron, okay? Moses has a special relationship to God. Now, everybody else in their tribe, in the tribe of Levi, 
is um, assigned to specific Levitical duties, but they are not priests. They cannot draw near to the Lord. They cannot facilitate worship. They can, uh, that is, sacrificial worship, and things like that. Um, and and a bunch of people among the Levites, a bunch of Levites, really take this badly, and um, their leaders are Korach, um, uh, often just pronounced Korah, um, as well as Dathan, Aviram, and On. Okay, so these are a bunch of diff- four guys who kind of stir up this movement among the Levites. Um, it says that 250 of the chiefs of the congregation were behind them in this. That doesn't. I don't know if those would be all Levitical chiefs. I don't think so. Um, but this idea that like, hey we should open up the priesthood to others. It should not just be reserved for, you know, this, these two brothers and, and, and their sons and nephews, right? Like let's wait. And, and their, 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 their chief um, argument is, Hey, we are all holy. We are all Israelites. We're all holy. And especially the Levites, right? We've gone through this, this anointing procedure and everything. And, and, um, you know, we are holy too, and Yahweh is among us. So why do you exalt yourselves? Which is, you know, kind of crazy. And you see a bunch of Moses' response kind of addresses that, that like, you're not opposing me, you're opposing the Lord, because the well, I'm not the one who's, we have not exalted ourselves. The Lord has given us what we uh, you know, what, what we are to do, who we are to be. The Lord has determined that we're to lead you and that Aaron and his sons are priests. That's not our call. Um, this is kind of like a very extreme version of the kind of thing that you would read about in 1 Corinthians 12 with spiritual gifts where people are like, you know, because I'm not an I, then, you know, I, 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 I don't matter. Or because I'm a nose, I don't matter, right, in the body of Christ. And the idea there that Paul counters is like, no, every, Everyone has their part to play, and God decides who is going to do what. And this is especially—this is the case in, in, in leadership in churches, right, that God takes the initiative to decide who he wants leading and what their qualifications must be, and uh, this is the case with the giving of spiritual gifts, and it is the case here with the appointing of the Levites for their service and the priests for their service and reserving the priesthood exclusively to the sons of Aaron. Um, and so this is an attempt to, to, um, to usurp the priesthood in essence. And so here is this other major challenge, right? Which, which requires on the Lord's part, um, uh, decisive action as to direction for his people. Like if, if, if Israel is not going to just nosedive straight into the ground, this, you have to learn to, listen to the Lord and to do it. How are, how are you going to, to, to do that? If you haven't learned your lesson in the wilderness, how are you going to do that when you have to enter the land and you're going to be amongst Canaanites and, and, and you're going to have, have people who are, if you, if you think the Amalekites are bad, wait until you get to Canaan and you have these coalitions of kings coming up against you. Are you going to trust me then? Okay, so this is a very important part in, in Israelite ancient Israelite history. And so Moses tells them, in the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy. So let's, let's figure this out. And so 
He tells them to all bring censers with incense and that the Lord will decide, the Lord will confirm indeed whom he wants leading this people and who he wants interceding before him. You've gone too, too, too far. And he even appeals to contentment, right? He's, he, he, said, he asked them, he's like, is it, is it too small of a thing to you that God would separate you from the congregation to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of Yahweh, and to stand before the congregation to minister to them. Is that is that a small thing for you? Is he somehow insulting you because the God of the universe has, has appointed you to serve him in this way and not in some other way? Okay, so you really see, you see, you know, Moses making this strong case against them. And, um, and again, Moses tells them it's against Yahweh that you're contending. It's not. It's not about Aaron. This is. This is about what God has decided. And um, two of the men, Dathan and Aviram, they're like, we're not even going to do that. We're not. We're not coming out. And so Moses goes to Korah directly, um, who is um, apparently like a ringleader in this, and is able, um, and commands commands them to bring the to. To, to bring their censors, and um, indeed Korah is able to to get them to come out, and um, so they do this. They bring their censors with their incense, and the glory of Yahweh appears at the tent of meeting. And Moses says to Moses and Aaron, "Separate yourselves, that I might consume them, that I might consume this this congre- the congregation, right? Not just everybody who's kind of behind this." And then once again, we have a picture of intercessory prayer where Moses says, he falls on his faces and Aaron and says, O God, and they say, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you will be angry with all the congregation. Okay. This idea that like, are you just going to keep treat us as such a corporate body that because these these prominent people among them have have incited the people to go one direction that they're all just going to have to face your wrath like distinguish between between the individual's sins and the sins of the, uh, the the congregation that's not to say that there's no such thing concept as corporate sin in the Old Testament I mean we just read about what to do when the congregation realizes that it has sinned and it needs to bring an offering uh, before the Lord um but um in but that's not like such an absolute thing that there's no uh, just appeal to individual responsibility versus corporate responsibility. And um, and so the Lord then does agree to single out the ringleaders here, and he says, get away from the dwelling of Korach, Dathan, and, and Aviram. Um, it, strangely, verse 24 does not mention the other guy, Own, and it is not clear why. Okay, I don't know why he's not mentioned there in verse 24. And... Um, and so uh, Moses gets up and he goes to Dathan and Aviram and, and the elders of Israel are following them. And he tells the congregation, he's like, get away from these guys. Um, don't touch anything of theirs, lest you be swept away in their sins. And so they do. They, 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 the, the people start to distance themselves away from, from uh, the tents of Korach, Dathan, and Aviram. And um, those men go out and stand at the door of their tents with their families. And um, and 
so that the people can once again know that it is indeed the Lord. He prays this prayer. Moses prays this prayer that, you know, if, if these guys just die as everybody else dies, then, then you know, it's nothing. But if the Lord creates something new and does something you've never seen before and the, and the earth opens up and swallows them, then you know that these men have despised Yahweh. And indeed, as soon as he's finished speaking these words, that is exactly what happens. And the um, the imagery there is powerful, that, that they're taken down alive into Sheol, this... Um, We've we've encountered this uh, this word before, right? Which basically means the grave, right? You go underground, and um, and then fire comes out from the Lord and consumes the two hundred and fifty men whom they had incited to follow them, who were offering incense at the tent of meeting. Okay, we will look at the rest of the <clears throat> aftermath of Korah's rebellion tomorrow. I just noticed I'm kind of like going back and forth between normal and Hebrew pronunciation of the name, but you know the guy, Korach, Korah. Okay, um, let's look at Psalm chapter 37. Now, Psalm 37, once again, another chap- uh, Psalm of David, and um, this, is a, this, is a, this is a great Psalm. <laughs> this is, um, the, the basic idea is that it, it underscores what it means to trust in the Lord, and particularly to trust in the Lord when it seems like things are going well for the for evildoers, for those who do not. And so you have this constant ping-ponging back and forth throughout the psalm of um, uh, between the righteous and the wicked. Um, right off the bat, the righteous are those, and it says these things several times, to who trust in Yahweh and who do good. Okay, um, as opposed to the evildoers who are like grass, they, they will eventually wither away. Those who trust the Lord are, are not like that. They will dwell in the land. They will remain in the land. They will enjoy the blessings that the Lord has given them. Um, and uh, you have this appeal that uh, you often hear a lot in verse 4, delight yourself in Yahweh and he will give you the desires of your heart. I think that's a very interesting statement there, right? Because this isn't just you know, uh, delight yourself in the Lord and anything you want, he will give you in, in that sense, right? Like, uh, I want an Xbox or something, God. I, I really want it. It's a, it's a desire of my heart. No, the, the idea is that you delight yourself in the Lord. And what is it that you want if you delight yourself in the Lord? You want him. You want his presence. You want his, his favor, Right, and he will give the one who truly delights him in the Lord and realizes that that God is his greatest treasure. God is her greatest treasure. He will give her. He will give him that. He will give himself to her, to him. Um, and again, you've got this like, um, this 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 uh, ping ponging back and forth. The other concept there too that the righteous do is they they are still, they wait for the Lord. They fret not. And here I think we get this, we really see this idea of like what waiting on the Lord is. Okay. Uh, it, I think oftentimes we kind of hear that and the idea that is sometimes floated is that like um, we're waiting for answered prayer, waiting for God to do something, and all of those things I think are encapsulated in it, but it's it's a bit of a bigger idea. And that is this idea that like 
right now, I don't see God acting decisively on my behalf. Like a lot, I'm trying to, you know, claim the promises of scripture. I'm trying to look towards him, but I just don't see him really bestowing his favor on me. And instead I see a lot of people who don't really care about God prospering. Um, and waiting on the Lord is being able to be patient and saying God in his time will recompense evil and he will reward those who love him. He will, he will bless me because I know him, because I love him, because I delight in him. Um, and so, like verse 7, be still before Yahweh and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way or the man who carries out evil desires. Like, don't worry about those guys. You refrain from anger, forsake rat, wrath, fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Um, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the earth and delight themselves in abundant peace. And so the psalm kind of goes back and forth a lot about that. Um, uh, a couple highlights here. Verse 16, I find particularly helpful. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. Um, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but Yahweh upholds the righteous. Um, better is the little that the righteous have. Like if, if, you know, God calls us to be content. And sometimes that means not having as much as you would be, as you would have, had you not chosen, say, to follow Christ, had you not chosen to follow the Lord. But knowing that this is what the Lord has blessed you with, it's it's better to have that little because of your faithfulness to the Lord than it would be to have a lot if you'd forsaken him. And um, so just very encouraging there. Um, I think verse 23 and 24, very meaningful as well to me, that the steps of a man are established by Yahweh when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for Yahweh upholds his hand. So he helps us when we stumble. He helps us when we fall. Uh, verse, the next two verses, I have been young and now I am old. This almost sounds like wisdom, right? Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He, he is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Okay. Um, so... Yeah, there's there's a lot of beautiful stuff in this psalm, um, but I I find this in this psalm a a great um, kind of explanation of what it means to wait for God, to wait for the Lord. Okay, let's look now to Luke chapter four. We're going to be starting in verse thirty eight here. Um, Jesus is still in Capernaum. He has just um, been to the um, to the synagogue there where he cast out a man with an unclean spirit. And here now the crowds start to follow him, as we've seen in the other Gospels, uh, particularly Mark likes to emphasize this as well. Um, so first off, he's going to go to Simon's house. So this is Peter's home. And Peter, who we're told has a wife by Paul as well, okay, his mother-in-law is there, and she is ill with a high fever. And uh, Jesus rebukes the fever. Just interestingly, like he rebukes unclean spirits and the fever leaves her, and she rises and um, and and begins to serve them. She begins to be able to you know go about her daily activities. She's got guests and she's she's going to entertain. So um, I guess Jesus comes out over your house. That's what you're going to be doing too, right? <clears throat> um, and then uh, 
Um, you know, all these crowds are coming to him. Uh, also mention about the demons. And just like the demon in the synagogue had had confessed him to be the Holy One of God, here they're crying out, you are the Son of God, and he rebukes them and doesn't allow them to speak because they know that he's the Christ. Remember, this is the kind of messianic secret thing that we saw a lot of in Mark, where Jesus um, specifically tells people to, to, not, um, to not advertise who he is. And um, typically the way in which this is understand, I said this then, I'll say it again briefly here, is this idea that um, he appears to not want recognition as the Christ before his time has come. He doesn't want people uh, clearly understanding who he is, at least not on a wide, broad scale. That doesn't mean there aren't some people who can handle this. But he doesn't want people being like, oh my gosh, the son of David is here and we're going to make him king now. No, no, that's kind of like what Satan tempted him with, right? Or one of the things. He is, he, he understands that the way to that, the way to his true messianic reign is through the cross, not through, you know, even bad advertisement is, is good advertisement, right? Like the demons are going to proclaim him now and be preaching the gospel of the kingdom or something. No, that's not what he wants. Um, <clears throat> so um, Jesus then goes and uh, he goes to, it said, to a desolate, desolate place. And um, the crowds follow him there and they try to keep him from leaving them. But he tells them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent to this purpose, for this purpose. So this isn't necessarily Jesus prioritizing his preaching over his healing. I don't think we should put those at odds with each other. But rather the idea is that he's got other places to be. This is not just a local thing. Like all of the people need to um, need to know that the kingdom of God is at hand, and so he's got he's got to go elsewhere. He can't just remain in Capernaum, and uh, and it says that he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Um, now this is interesting. Uh, just a little bit of a side note because it's only in John's gospel that Jesus makes multiple trips to Jerusalem, which is Judea. This is that would be the south in Palestine there. Um, in fact, he makes he makes three. He appears to make three uh, visits on Passovers to to Jerusalem, which is typically where we get the idea that Jesus had a three year ministry. Whereas in the Synoptic Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tend to focus much more on his ministry in Galilee, and um, <clears throat> and if you're just going by them, you wouldn't know that he was in Jerusalem a bunch of times. Okay, now a few things. First of all. Um, it does appear that John is uh, correct in giving us the impression that he went there several times, just like any devout Jew would have done. Every year he's making several pilgrimages. Okay, It's just that the synoptics don't mention that, and they just focus on his Galilean ministry. Not a problem with that. They can talk about whatever they want to talk about. Um, but uh, here, Luke, one way of reading this is to, think, is to say that Luke is— uh, is acknowledging that Jesus did go south on several occasions, just like John. However, a um, a much more um, uh, I well, I, I think a, another plausible reading of this verse that he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea is that for Luke, who is kind of like an outsider, he's not a he's not um, you know Paul picks him up in his travels in Asia Minor. He's not like a native to Palestine. 
And so for Luke, um, all of this region can be called Judea because he's not he doesn't have as specific a, uh, geographical knowledge and precision as the other gospels do, those which are either eyewitness testimonies themselves or based heavily off of them. Not to say that Luke isn't, but you know, you've got the writers, you've got Matthew, who's a disciple, you've got John, who's a disciple. Yes, I do think that is the John who wrote the Gospel of John. And you've got Mark, who, uh, according to the pretty much unanimous testimony of the early church, based his gospel off of Peter's sermons. And um, so, whereas Luke, kind of an outsider, he just looks at this region, he thinks it's Judea. Another interesting thing where you kind of see this is that um, is that Mark, which is based, again, allegedly off of Peter's preaching, will always refer to the Sea of Galilee as the sea. It's the sea. It's the Sea of Galilee, because that's like the, you know, that's where he lived and worked. And that was pretty much the biggest body of water that Peter had probably ever seen. But for Luke, who is much more cosmopolitan, it's a lake. And so he constantly, he cons- Luke consistently calls it the lake. So speaking of the lake, notice, and here he's using another name for it, the Gennesaret. Uh, he is standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he sees two boats by the lake. Because um, again, Luke's not as impressed by the size of the Sea of Galilee as Peter is. And he sees... He actually sees Peter. So speaking of speaking of Peter, um, he see Jesus sees a couple of boats. There's two boats there, and the fishermen aren't in them. But the crowd is coming, and they're pressing on him. And so he decides to get on a boat and teach them from the boat. And he does, and he tells and he tells Simon, whose boat he steps in, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So he's done preaching, and um, and he tells Simon, why don't we go out and go fishing a little bit? And Peter is a little bit reluctant because apparently the fishing has not been very good for the last 24 hours or so. We, we, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But you know what? At your word, I will let down the nets. And he does this and there's such a huge catch of fish that there's nets are breaking. And and they have to, he, he needs to get his partners, the sons of Zebedee, John and James, to come over and help them. And the boats are so filled with fish that they're having trouble staying above water. And um, Peter sees this, and he sees this as a sign from the Lord. I mean, he knows when fish are biting, when fish aren't, and, you know, it's it's all he knows. And he sees this, and he he realizes that he's in the presence of this this holy messenger from God at the very least. And so he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Just, I mean, we don't know a whole heck of a lot about Peter's background before, you know, what kind of guy he was ethically or anything. But, but I will note that even righteous men, when confronted with God, and, you know, I, I don't know if we need to say that Peter understood right now that Jesus was the second person of the Trinity or something like that. But we see even even righteous people falling down. We see this with Isaiah in his call. We see it with Ezekiel in his call. Just this 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 feeling of unworthiness before, um, before uh, God or in the presence of something that is so spiritually significant that we are aware of our own shortcomings. And Jesus tells him, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And they bring the boats to land, and they leave everything and follow him. 
Then the final story we read today is of this um, of a man who comes to him full of leprosy. Luke says, "It's just like you know, you kind of get the picture in your in your mind." And he begs him, "Lord, if you will, make me clean." And Jesus says, "This beautiful, I will be clean." And um, and it says that once the the leprosy left him, and Jesus again trying to preserve this messianic um, secret tells them to to tells him to not go around telling everybody but that he should go and offer the offerings to the priests and and do undergo the the cleansing uh, ritual from leprosy which of course we're all experts on having read it in Leviticus and um uh but but despite Jesus's efforts to keep his um keep keep this kind of stuff a secret the word does nevertheless spread and great crowds continue to follow him. And um, but even in this place, and it says that he would withdraw, even in this kind of circumstance, with all these people following him, and you can imagine how busy and how how demanding this must have been for him. It said he would with, it says he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So he would he would get away and he would and he would still find time to be alone with his father. Okay, that's it for today. Again, thank you so much for joining me. Very much look forward to being with you till tomorrow. Until then, keep reading scripture. Take care and bye-bye.